Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the testimonies of answered prayer. Lord, we want to thank you for the fellowship that we have here in this church. And Lord, it is with heavy hearts that we thank you for the time that you did give us with Miss Rhoda. And Lord, knowing that uh, you are working in her life and will use her in the Philippines. And, and Lord, we just, again, want to say thank you for the opportunity we did have to serve you together here at this church. We thank you for Brother Franz and the call that you have placed upon his life for Morris Park in the Bronx. And Lord, we just want to say a special thank you as Matthew has grown to the point of wanting to follow you in baptism and and uh, Lord, giving testimony to his decision to trust you as his Savior. Lord, we just thank you for your blessings in our lives. We thank you for the support and care that we can show one toward another especially in times of need. And Lord, we're just thankful how good you are to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's have that last song and we'll get right into our Bible study tonight. You are under the age of 12. You know, with Mrs. Montoro there to the meeting. Uh, The rest of us, let's take our Bibles and open once again to Matthew chapter 5. If you need an outline... Uh, wave your hand there. We are once again, uh, we did this in 2010 and then I think again in 2012, uh, go through the Sermon on the Mount. And of course, Jesus preached this sermon at one sitting, at one time. And uh, we will spend months and months and months and months going through uh, three chapters that Jesus preached in one afternoon. And so I want you to think about something here, and uh, that is we, we have this tendency as we look back in time to think that the people who lived uh, nearly 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked the face of the earth were ignorant and unlearned, and Jesus only needed to speak this sermon one time. He didn't go through and parse every word like we are. The, the people understood uh, the message. So, uh, I would say that uh, actually we've not improved, but uh, deproved, if that could be a word, uh, unimproved. And uh, we, we need a lot more help than really the, the people who heard Jesus as they understood him. He starts out his introduction, we might say, to the sermon, or his summary of the sermon is... a. Uh, a group of verses that is often called the Beatitudes. And the reason they are is these are, these are states of blessedness. This is something, if, if I ask the question, in fact, let, let's just do this exercise once again as we can all use it. How many of you could use more of God's blessings in your life? Would you just raise a hand to that? I mean, my hand goes up first. Uh, I would want more of God's blessings in my life. And here, as we look at these things, let's, let's be careful not to cut up the message of Jesus into little bits and pieces and, and try to say, well, <clears throat> listen, I, I'm not very good at this thing. We're going to talk about those that hunger and thirst after righteousness and blessed are the merciful. And, and uh, 
you cannot just pull these out of the list. You've got to start at the beginning and work your way up. You will never, ever get to being merciful if you don't start with understanding the poverty of your spirit. The fact that every good thing in you comes from God. Amen? Uh, We often live in a world where uh, they call it positive thinking. And certainly it would be positive thinking if you could think yourself into a state of godhood. Uh, That would really be positive, now wouldn't it? Uh, but it's also very foolish. It doesn't work. You, you can't think that hard. Uh, you know, we, uh, I often, uh, not to make light of it in any way, but to cast the proper light on it, people who do not like themselves and do not like what's going on in their lives will often go to psychologists and pay them hundreds of dollars an hour to lie to them to help them learn to blame it on their mother or their father or the man that lived next door or or the the fact that they have tuned in to the wrong frequency and they are getting messages, but they're not from God. How can you tell if you got a message from God? It's real easy. It's written down. Amen? Don't trust anything that's not written down. You can have premonitions. You can have feelings. You can, uh, you turn on TBN, man, I, I, you would think that these guys have a direct connection with God. Uh, I want to challenge you. If you want a direct connection with God, read what he wrote in his book called the Bible. Uh, it's uh, all the time I get emails. We have a new program to develop your church. And my answer is always the same. As soon as I handle the old stuff, I'll start looking at the new. Uh, But I only expect this to take a lifetime. So don't hold your breath for me to call you back. Amen? Or or respond to your solicitation. You see, being poor in spirit means not only I do not have what I need, I can't get it. But... How many of you remember coming to that understanding just before you got saved? You have to get there. Because if you think you can save yourself, God cannot save you. But once you understand, what was the prayer of the publican? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Does that sound like he understood his poorness of spirit? It does to me. Uh, he, he understood that he could not save himself. And by the way, if you can't save yourself, how are you going to live for God by yourself? You can't. It's an utter dependence upon God. That's why it says here, Blessed are the poor in spirit, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How do you get the kingdom of heaven? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If you've received that gift, could you just say amen today? Uh, You didn't receive it because of anything in you or about you. You received it because God is good. Amen. 
And once we understand that, it should lead us naturally to the next step. Blessed are they that mourn. You know, this is one problem we have in society today. People are not sorry for their sin. Or if they are, it's this fake kind of, well, I'm sorry. I take responsibility for what I did. Oh, yes, you do. Like you can take away the mean and hurtful words that you said. Like you can erase them from my memory. If you uh, if you listen to the radio at one time, they were playing uh, a set of commercials about uh, drunk driving. And he uh, says, oh, I'm not drunk, I'm only buzzed. And then you hear the sound of the car crash and uh, the one... Uh, Two girls, I think, was the ad that comes to my mind. The one says, my arm is broken. But that's okay. You were just buzzed. Everything's fine. No, uh, you can't take this stuff back. Mourning. You see, only the Bible allows me to truly be honest with who I am and what I am and who God is and what He is. And that's where the comfort is. Because he loves me. Not because I can give him something or do something to please him. But because he is good. Amen? Then we can start talking about meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Moses is the biblical example of meekness. He's the man that was meek above all men that are on the earth. What made Moses so meek? Well, how many of you remember the story of the Red Sea? You ought to read that if you're not really familiar with it. Exodus chapter 14. And uh, Moses is talking to the children of Israel as they see Pharaoh's armies coming after them and they're screaming in anguish, Why did you bring us out here to die? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? And and Moses is speaking to the children of Israel. Now remember, there were 600,000 footmen. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 2 million people in front of Moses. He was not going, Now dearly beloved, we're gathered here together. I mean, he was, he says, Hold your peace! And then the next verse God is speaking to Moses and he says, stretch out your rod. Why are you crying to me? I just love the picture there. Moses is telling the children of Israel, be quiet, trust God. God, what are you going to do? Moses was human. You see, meekness is trusting and having an utter dependence and obedience to a higher power. How many of you have ever seen one of those? Uh, they actually changed the standards in, in NYPD several years ago because there weren't enough uh, diversity, I guess. And so now we have, uh, not being critical in any way, but we have some police officers that are rather diminutive, little tiny police officers. How many of you have ever seen one of those? And, and uh, I remember seeing one one time, a little lady, she couldn't have been, uh, she couldn't have been 120 pounds with her bulletproof vest and all the equipment on, just a little lady, and she holds up that hand, and this 80,000 pound truck comes to a screeching halt. 
What power? No. The truck was not stopping because of her. It was stopping because of that uniform she was wearing. She was not speaking in her voice. She was speaking with the authority of the government of New York City. And by the way, if a police officer gives you direction of any kind, you would do well to say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, and comply. Because they have a job to do. They know what's going on, but you don't. And so listen to them. They're not there to hurt you. They're there to help you. Amen? And that's why we pray for them. This is the fourth Sunday of the month. We, we pray for our government officials. We pray for our police officers. We need to do that. We ought to do that. And there's one of the reasons there's been some very bad things happen to people in this city is because... They refused to listen when the police officer gave them direction. You don't have to run from the police officers here. This isn't Mexico. This isn't Russia. We're not dealing with the NBKD or the uh, KGB as they, they used to be known. I don't know what the new letters are, but I mean, when one of those guys is after you, uh, you're just done. But that's not the way it is here, Amen. Now, that's a little rabbit. We've just chased it. Now we're going to get back to the message. Meekness is operating under the authority and at the direction of another. You're never going to do that until you understand there's nothing in you that God needs for till you allow an understanding that what I've done is wrong and the best I can think is nothing. That will lead you to mourn. Amen? And then we say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? That's meekness. How many parents have told their children, because I said so? Doesn't that work? It, it ought to. Well, why can't we do something just because God said so? That's meekness. And you see, that leads us to the next step. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst. I'm sorry. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You want to be blessed? Understand your poor in spirit. Allow the holiness of God to cause you to mourn for your sin. Operate at God's direction. It says the meek shall inherit the earth. Why? Because we will be the servants of the Most High God. Amen? That's what the kingdom is all about. Read Revelation 4. Read Revelation 1, 5. It's 1 and 5. I'm sorry. Where the, the writer John, as he is writing, says, Thou hast made us kings and priests unto our God. That is the final solution for a Christian. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. 
Now, how many of you know what it means to be really hungry? I mean, in America, most of us have not experienced true hunger. Because, I mean, sometimes we get caught out. I remember uh, on several occasions I'm out and I, I reach into my pocket and there's nothing there but a credit card and the guy doesn't take credit card. And I'm sitting there, oh, I just, oh, I need a Coke so bad, liar. I want one. There's a difference. Or a cup of coffee. Well, see, Starbucks. All I have to do is have my phone and I can, I can always get a cup of coffee. Um, we don't know, most of us, what it really means to be hungry. Those that are supposed to know these things, and please don't try this at home. Uh, you can go somewhere between 40 and 60 days without food before you die. Uh, don't try that. Uh, you can go about seven days with no water. And, of course, there are different circumstances. Uh, if you're in a coma, uh, you, it, it will take you much longer to... Uh, uh, die from lack of water or food than if you're up and about, but you cannot go a very long time without proper nourishment, without something to... Your body craves it of you. Uh, the doctors, you know, the, the health food people, years ago they said, oh, you need to drink, uh, uh, what was it, eight... Eight ounce glasses every of water every 24 hours, and you need. You know, the I, I went. I talked to my doctor, and I'll just tell you what he said. He said, "Listen, when your body needs water, you will get thirsty." He said, "God, he, he was. He's not a Christian man, but he said your body is designed to tell you." Uh, I wish food worked that way, don't you? Um, I mean, it just always, uh, uh, it's, it's time to eat. I, I'm ready whether I'm hungry or not. How about you? But this idea of nat you have natural desires that God has put in your body to keep you alive. You will desire food. In fact, uh, there's... Uh, been several times with the little grandbabies. One of the daughters will crawl, call up and, and say, Oh, you know, little um, Emily's got us uh, a cold and she's running a little fever. And, and, and well, is she still want to eat? Oh, yeah. Is she still drinking? Oh, yeah. I said, Don't worry. It's okay. It's when they stop wanting to eat and drink. That's when you got to start getting worried. You see... When you're not hungry and your body doesn't want food, it's a sign that something's wrong inside. Do you know you can get there just emotionally? Putting yourself in an emotional state of distress to where your body refuses to eat? Now, don't raise your hand if you've been there, but most of us have been there at one time or another. That's not a good place to be. It's a sign that something is wrong, isn't it? Now, here it says, blessed are those that do hunger 
which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now, how many of you have ever just got a desire for a candy bar? Just, just something sweet, especially when I'm driving long distance. I mean, it's just really nice. Great big bag of M&M's that you can just, one or two at a time, so you can drive five or six hours without stopping, and you keep your mind going by... Uh, eating and all of that, that's, that's not good for you. That's not a natural hunger. How many are hungry for broccoli and spinach? I'll tell you what, I love asparagus. It's good. It's good for you. Especially if you got a nice big piece of red meat to go along with it. Amen? Oh, now, now that's not a good diet. But anyway, how many of you are hungry now, huh? These are natural desires, and we're supposed to hunger and thirst after righteousness. You cannot wind up these desires in you. You see, this is the difference between real Christianity and fake Christianity. And by the way, by the time we get to the end of this sermon, Jesus is going to end the Sermon on the Mount with a charge to those that say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name done many wonderful works? How many of you know what the answer is going to be? Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never, I think that's the sign, never knew you. You see, you can't lose your salvation once you have it. But the Bible says there's an awful lot of people trusting in an awful lot of things that aren't going to get them to heaven. And we, that's what, Jesus is doing here. He is stating what it means to be blessed, to be poor in spirit, to mourn, to be meek, to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If Jesus is truly living inside of me, he's going to change my desires. This, again, not, not trying to be rude or uh, in any means, but we need to understand this purpose-driven life book has nothing to do with the Bible. Jesus is not here to give you what's in your heart. He is to write over what's in your heart. That's what it means in Psalm 37, 4, when it says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Why? Because he has changed the desires of your heart to match his. Amen? 
Well, I got one amen. Hello? Aren't you glad that God doesn't leave us to our own resources? That we don't have to figure this thing out? That if we will simply follow Jesus and ask to follow at His bidding and His direction, He will create in us that hunger and that thirst. Not for power, not for money, not for position, not for fame, but for righteousness. Read first, well, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Can we do that? And let's just spend a little bit of time here. We may only get through one tonight, and that's okay. We'll just pick up next Sunday night and keep going till we get done. Amen? 1 Timothy chapter 6. Excuse me. Verse 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us, therewith, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Does that not sound like politics to you? Now, read verse 10 very carefully. If you got one of those newfangled Bibles, it says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. If you got one of those new fangled Bibles, they take most of the important words out and say money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. If it were, then we couldn't have it. And you know what? The Bible says God wants us to pay our bills. Amen? And, and it says the love of money. And by the way, you don't have to have a lot of it to love it. In fact, you can have almost nothing and spend your whole life loving something you don't have. The Bible tells us to be careful. People hunger and thirst for all of these things. But the Bible says if I'll hunger and thirst after righteousness, He's going to fill me. You know what that means? God is going to loan me or let me borrow. Righteousness only comes from God. Amen? There is none good save one. That is God. Those are the words of Jesus. Righteousness is doing what is right. You cannot do that on your own. That's why meekness is the prerequisite. Surrendering your will to God, operating under His authority and His direction, and letting Him fill me with Himself. Ephesians chapter 6. The armor of God, it's the breastplate of righteousness, is it not? What does the breastplate of the warrior do? It protects the vital area of the internals, of, of your organs. If the enemy's spear pierces your heart or, 
or your stomach cavity or something, you, you are not going to be very long in fighting. You're going to die very soon. Uh, today, uh, we are, our soldiers have uh, uh, bulletproof and, and uh, uh, vests that they wear that absorb shock that in World War II, you just died. In modern day warfare, not only do you not die, you still have the ability to shoot back even after you've been hit with what would have been a mortal wound with what the best that we had in World War II. It, it's an amazing thing what, what they can do today. And, and the protection, but if you want protection for your heart, you need that breastplate of righteousness. What does the Bible tell us? Jesus is going to cover us with His righteousness. That's what the cross was all about, wasn't it? That's why Jesus on the cross said, It is finished. We need to be under His protection. He will fill us with His righteousness. There is nothing that will satisfy the needs of your soul other than the righteousness which belongs to God. And He wants to give it to you. But He's not going to give it to you until there's a hunger, till there's a thirst, till there's a need realized. You know, we do not give 14-year-olds or 16-year-olds a brand new Porsche to drive. In fact, in New York City, you can't get a driver's license until you're 18. There's a reason for that. And I think it's a pretty good one. I'm just glad I didn't grow up in the city. I got my driver's license on my 16th birthday in Maryland, where I grew up. But... I'm glad that my mom had one of those four-door Ford sedans because I had enough problems driving something that wouldn't go very fast. If I had something that would drive really fast, you know what I'd probably do? have done? Long ago, I'd have stopped myself from living by doing something foolish behind the wheel. How many could uh, identify with that? Uh, if God just dumped His righteousness on you without the proper desire in your heart, you wouldn't know what to do with it. You wouldn't be able to handle it. You'd be like the Pharisees of old, proud and arrogant about how righteous they were. And by the way, pride is the greatest sin recorded in all the Bible, is it not? See, we took care of pride, number one, being poor in spirit, didn't we? And then we beat it down again, mourning. And then we beat it down again, operating under the authority and at the direction of God. And then once again, we come back and we slap it down because pride is one of those things that you will never have true victory over until you get to the other side. It is our greatest enemy as a Christian. But if I am hungry and thirsty after righteousness, 
guess what? I'm not looking to me because the only place I can satisfy that need is by getting close to Jesus. Can we say amen to that? And that's where the Lord wants us to be. And by the way, if we're walking close enough to the Lord that His righteousness is protecting us, how much more blessed do you think you could be in this world? Amen? You see, this is not some philosophical treatise Jesus is giving here. He is trying to help us understand that in order for us to be blessed, He cannot use who we are and what we have. He's got to start all over again. That's why it's called being born again. Amen? It's a brand new life that God gives us. And as we look upon ourselves, we understand, I am poor in spirit. The Bible says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I understand the wickedness of my sin. God says, I'm going to comfort you by paying the price for your sin with the blood of my son. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Guess what? All of these wicked people who think they're in charge. I am so tired of global warming. How about you? And the tree huggers. Well, I do believe in hugging the tree as you're climbing up to put your deer stand in place. I I do hold on. I don't want to fall off, but... Uh, this this idea of worshiping nature. Why would I worship nature when I can worship the Creator? Amen? Amen? And I can walk in His direction and, and under His authority. You think you can fight the devil on your own? Don't listen to these people that... I rebuke you, devil, boy. Stay away from people like that. If I want to fight the devil, I'm going to hide behind Jesus. Because he'll do a whole lot better job than I can. Amen? And then, he'll create in me true and honest desires for His righteousness. And when He creates that desire in my heart and I express that hunger and that thirst to God for what only He has, He says, they're going to get it. They're going to get filled. You know why we struggle so much against sin in our lives? is because we allow those old appetites of our unsaved flesh to remain. Sometimes, like the children of Israel, we get thinking, wow, it would be nice to be back in Egypt as a slave. Really? What kind of sense does that make? 
But that's the way they thought, and that's why God had to judge them. But if we'll let God put within us that desire to hunger and thirst after righteousness, then he'll give it to us. And you see, what will begin to happen in our lives is we will stop living the Christian life by accident and start living it on purpose. And that in itself would be a blessed thing, now wouldn't it? Can we say amen to that? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. And Lord, we thank you for this great sermon and we ask that you would help us as we investigate it that you would teach us, that you would help us to understand all that you want to do. And Lord, how much you want to bless us. But it's got to be your blessings, not ours. We ask you to work in our hearts and draw us to you. That you may create in us a desire, a hunger, a thirst, an irrepressible craving for the righteousness It belongs only to God. And then, Lord, to see you fulfill that through the power of your Holy Spirit active in our lives. Lord, work that we may bring glory to your name. Before we finish that prayer, let's just keep our heads bowed and eyes closed. If you need to slip out of your seat, spend a few moments. The altar is open, the place to pray. If you're here tonight, and you're not sure about your salvation, and you'd like someone to take the Bible and show you how you can know your sins are forgiven and heaven's your home. That, that is the greatest message, the greatest knowledge the Bible can give you is the knowledge of eternity and security in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Just a few moments here.